Greetings, my friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. This morning, we are resuming our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 11. Now, chapter 11, like many of Paul's teachings, is going to be offensive to many in Western culture today. Um, the reality is, and uh, I'm praying that the, that the Lord would give me tact as I speak about these issues, uh, because there's part of me on the inside that just wants to rage about modern feminism and uh, just its destruction and of of God's natural hierarchy of the family today, the whole family unit. There's a lot of things attacking the family unit. Uh, but one of them most certainly is modern day feminism. Now, many women today, certainly not all and certainly not godly women, but many women would despise chapter 11, and especially the hierarchy or order of things, which would be God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of the woman. Now, that may not always have been the design. Uh, if you look at uh, some of other Paul's writings, he attributes that the reason for this is that Adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived in transgression, talking about Eve, was first deceived by the devil. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the curse that's pronounced upon the woman. It says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over you doesn't really matter. Uh, what we know is that this is the order of things. Now, real quick before we get into the reading and, and all the things uh, this morning, I just want to briefly let you know that I actually uploaded this podcast already just like a day or so ago. Um, however, I misspoke when dealing with one of the issues and so I brought it back down. So I could correct what I said. So one of the main issues that we're going to be talking about today is this uh, issue of head covering. And Paul's going to talk about how uh, uh, the difference between a man and a woman when you're in the church, uh, how it's shameful for a man to have a covering on his head while he's praying or prophesying. And uh, on the flip side, for a woman to be praying and prophesying, it's shameful for her not to cover her head. And as you're going to hear as I go through the podcast, uh, what's going on here is really just, it's, it's, there's a couple of things. One, it's a, the covering, the veil is a, a symbol of subordinates or submission to the husband. Uh, there's also this need that there was in the Corinthian church, not unlike our day, to make sure that there was, was this distinction between a man and a woman. 
And so that's one of the issues that we're going to be wrestling with in today's text. Uh, and also there's this very bizarre and strange verse that we're going to get to. Uh, let me see if I can find it for you real quick. Obviously, we're going to read it. Um, talking about this covering, but it says, Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority, or a, you know, that's talking about that veil, that covering, on her head because of the angels. Because of the angels. And I'm going to share with you in the podcast my thoughts on that. So... Uh, I'm just going to let the podcast as its original form pick back up, but I wanted to be clear about that because the first ep- the first version that I uploaded, it was very, the way I said things, it was very unclear. Um, and I think I misspoke even a little bit about what Paul was suggesting. So just to be clear, and we'll hear it in the text, what he was suggesting to the Corinth church is that the man does not cover his head while praying and prophesying, but the woman does. There's a distinction there. Um, the woman, the hair on her head is like the, that's her glory. That's one of the things that sets her apart and makes her different than a man. And he goes on to say to, to pray uncovered like a man would. It, it's, it's as shameful as shaving your head. And so we're going to talk about what he's, why he's even dealing with this issue, why he's talking about this issue to the Corinth church, um, and things of that nature. So I'm going to let the podcast pick back up uh, where it left off, but I wanted to make this correction and cut out uh, that mistake. All right, back to the episode. So, that's what we're going to try to deal with this morning, and uh, I pray you'll be blessed, and I pray that you would open up your hearts. Do not take offense to God's word. Um, these things are in place for a reason, and everybody has their role, and God has his design. And it really shouldn't be offensive, because it's not offensive. It's only offensive if you have the mindset of Babylon. Which all of us, if we live in Western civilization, are tainted by at least a little. Alright, I'm sure I've already upset some people. Let's begin. Let's look at chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, and we'll do our best to try to understand what all this is about. Let's begin. Verse 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remembered me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. 
For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off, or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought to not have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from a woman, but a woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So let's just stop there because there's a lot to unpack here. So specifically, Paul is dealing with um, head covering versus not having head covering when praying and prophesying, like when being inside, like when participating in the church services and stuff. The issue really, at the end of the day, is kind of twofold. One, the woman's hair, which she's going to get into, is like her covering, is her glory. It also distinguishes her from a man. I mean, you see the silhouette of the long hair, you know that there's a woman there, right? If a woman has like a shaved head, and... I'm sorry if this offends you, but this is what the scripture is talking about. And you notice it even in today's culture. When she cuts her hair like a man, you don't necessarily distinguish her from a man from a distance. I mean, you've got to observe a lot of other things to come to the conclusion that, oh, we're dealing with a woman here. She just has her hair cut like a man. Uh, Obviously problematic in our culture. But apparently there's nothing new under the sun because Paul's dealing with this. Let me read some commentary for you here from this study Bible. Paul makes it clear. Paul makes clear directives that women are not to lead or speak in services of the church, which you can see in Titus 2.12, you can see in other places in the Bible. But they may pray and proclaim the truth to unbelievers as well as teach children and other women. You can see that in 1 Timothy 5.16 or Titus 2.3 and 4. Or you can see a note in Acts 21.9. Whenever, wherever and whenever women do pray and proclaim the word appropriately, they must do so maintaining proper distinction from men uncovered. What he's dealing with here is if everybody has like a, a, a covering of their, uh, something over their head, you can't distinguish between men and women necessarily. And their distinction needs to be made. You see, we're living in a culture where they're saying, don't distinguish, don't distinguish, don't distinguish. But God's word says, be distinguished. Be absolutely, without question, different. Because we are. And we all have been made for different purposes. Uh, You see, the, the enemy wants to destroy the order of things. Oh, let's continue on. They must do so maintaining the proper distinction from men uncovered. In a culture of Corinth, a woman's covered head while ministering or worshiping was a symbol to signify the subordinate relationship to her husband. 
The apostle is not laying down an absolute law for women to wear veils and covering in all churches for all time, but is declaring that the symbol of the divinely established male and female roles are to be genuinely honored in every culture. As in this case of a meat offering to idols, there was nothing spiritual about wearing it or not wearing a covering, but manifesting a rebellion against God's order was wrong, disgraces her head. So, again, we're dealing with the, the main issue is distinction. It's not really about the covering. And like the commentary says in this Bible, it's not like this is some law, right? It, this isn't a commandment from God. Paul is dealing with this church because there must have been some issue where these distinctions weren't being properly made. Corinth also, a, a lot like modern-day Christians, the modern-day church, had issues with sexual immorality. Um, you know, they were... They were, they were, they were learning to be followers of Christ, but at the same time, they had the influences of their culture of the day. So that's really, at the end of the day, what we're dealing with. Now, we get to the part about the covering, and the woman should have long hair, and and all those things, and then it talks about covering for the sake of the angels. So let's read on a little bit further, and then we'll deal with that uh, that little section there. Therefore, women ought to have the symbol of authority on her head. Many believe that's talking about the covering. Because of the angels. Verse 11, however, in the Lord neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of women. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Okay. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of thoughts and opinions about all of this. It's, it's interesting that Paul's like, isn't it obvious that I'm... You know, that a woman should have long hair, which is a glory for her, and it's a covering, but a man should not, you know. Over and over, Paul is really getting to the to the, to the issue that the, it should be easy to distinguish a man from a woman. And if you read his other writings, he's very clear about this. A woman shouldn't wear men's clothes. A man shouldn't wear women's clothes. Like, there should be no confusion there. Boy, does this fly in the face of today's culture. And I can't believe this, but this is our reality. I can't believe that this is an offensive thought today. But it is. It's offensive to women who have been propagandized by modern-day feminism. It's offensive to anyone who thinks that there shouldn't be a distinguish between man and woman. Which is bizarre to me. 
and I just cannot believe that I'm living in a world where I can literally be canceled and silenced for holding a view that men and women are different and it should be obvious. Astonishing. Let's get to the angel thing. I think the covering for the sake of the angels personally deals with because of the because of the evil angels in Genesis 6 as, as, as our example that they looked down they saw the women were attractive and they decided to take wives to themselves that whole mess here's what Matthew Henry says so let's just go off his commentary first he's going to use an example of why you should even have a covering again you have the it's it's like you have the covering, but not when you're praying and prophesying in in the church. That's kind of what's being said here. Matthew Henry uses Rebecca as his as his example. He says Rebecca, when she met Isaac, was delivering herself into his possession, put on her veil in token of her subjection. So let's go look at that real quick. We're dealing with Genesis twenty four sixty five. Remember, we're trying to answer this question about why would why would we why would we be worried about this for the sake of angels? So here's the short little story here, four verses. Now Isaac had come from going to Bear Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Remember, he sent his servant, and the servant's bringing back Rebekah. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. And then she took her veil and covered herself. So why did she do that? Here's what the commentary says. Convention demanded the the designated bride veil her face in the presence of her betrothed until the wedding day. It's, I mean, we even still practice this in tradition. Maybe not to the extent that we have always done it. Probably not now. But used to, the tradition, just go watch a movie from the 80s where somebody gets married. (laughs) 80s and further back. What does the bride always have before they actually officially become married? She's, She's covering her face with a veil. Where do you think these traditions come from? You think You think that Westerners just made it up? No, they brought it. From the Christian tradition. Okay, so back to the angel thing. Okay, so Rebecca, when she met Isaac and was delivering herself into his possession, put on her veil in a token of her subjection. Thus, would the apostle have the women appear in Christian assemblies, even though they spoke there by inspiration because of the angels, that is, say some, because of the evil angels, The woman was first in the transgression, being deceived by the devil, Titus 2.14, which increased her subjection to man. We talked about that, the curse written in Genesis 3.16. Uh, 
Now, believe evil angels will be sure to mix in all Christian assemblies. Therefore, should women wear the token of their shamefacedness and subjection, which in that age and country was a veil. It's interesting, isn't it? So even Matthew Henry is acknowledging there's evil angels and they covered themselves as a token of subjection, which in that age and country. So he's saying at that in that culture at that time, that symbol was the veil. But he's going to point out what others say. Others say because of the good angels. Jews and Christians have had an opinion that these ministering spirits are many of them present in their assemblies and their presence should restrain Christians from all indecencies in the worship of God. Note, we should learn from all to behave in the public assemblies of divine worship so as to express a reverence for God and a content and satisfaction with the rank in which he has placed us. Now, I'm personally not here to say that women should be wearing a veil to church in 2023 in the United States of America. I'm also not saying that you shouldn't. Here's what I will say, though. What I do notice, sadly, is there's a lot of unmodesty even within the church. Not by all, and it's certainly not the predominant thing. But there are certainly some issues where distinctions aren't being properly adhered to. And there's certainly situations that I see where women are dressed like they're going to the club, but they're at church, and their outfit um, can only lead a man to think about one thing. And when I see that, I'm also astonished. Nothing is sacred anymore. And by the way, this podcast is just not a, it's not a bash on the modern woman. It's just dealing with the issue at hand that we're dealing with here in chapter 11. And even Paul goes on to talk about how there's not a difference in equality here. He's like... I mean, the man came, the woman came from man, but every man is born from a woman, right? Like there's, there's an equal, there's an equality here. But when it comes to dealing with God's design and rank, the rank that he has put out, God himself has established as God, Christ, man, woman, but this, this is not how he's ranking value of a human being. It's how it's, we have to have order within the church. And so we, there has to be an established hierarchy of obedience. And that's what God has established. Like it or not. And God has made woman and he has made man and he has not made them the same. And there should be a very obvious distinction. And honestly, unless you're going to absurd efforts, the distinction is pretty easily to be made. All right. As you can tell, I'm not pleased to have this conversation this morning. 
seems like a conversation you shouldn't have to have. This should be one of those chapters This is extremely boring and that we shouldn't have to spend any time discussing. But that's not the world we live in today. Let's go continue on and finish up our study for this morning. Let me start back with judge for yourselves. Verse 13. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the church of God. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Ex explanation mark. Do you not have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. So now Paul's getting to another issue that he's dealing with with the Corinthians. And that is their, they're shaming the Lord's Supper by apparently getting drunk and treating it like some kind of party or feast. Here's what the commentary says. It says the love feast and communion celebration had become so perverted that it was sinful. Selfish mockery. They could not legitimately say it was devoted to the Lord since it was not honoring to Him. They intended to selfishly indulge themselves that so they might as well have stayed home. That's what Paul's saying. It's like, if you're just looking for a good time so you can literally drink and eat, then just stay home and do it. Don't bring that into the church and disgrace the church. It's, that's why he says, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? I shall, shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. We're almost done here. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... In the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. And this is my remembrance, your remembrance of me. In this way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, 
Whosoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. He's saying, don't you understand what this means? This is a thing that you do to remember that he was broken and bled for you. And here you guys are turning it into a party. If Paul thought he had his hands full with the Corinthians, he should come visit an average church here in the West. I wonder if he would just throw his hands up. Verse 28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and number a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. <laughs> He's saying the reason why you get disciplined and chastised by God and these troubles come upon you, it's for your own good. Just like a parent disciplines a child, it's so that when the day of judgment comes, you don't have to be part of the world. In that condemnation. Verse 33, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. That's chapter 11. Try to remember that Paul's dealing with a lot of issues here. They clearly didn't understand the order of things when it came to men and women. Or that there was a distinction between men and women. That's why he has to implement these and put these guardrails in. Uh, because that was, that was clearly an issue of the day. The second issue he's dealing with is communion. They're not doing it right. They're, they're not treating it with the respect that it deserves. Uh, they're turning it more into an opportunity to feast and get drunk. That's, that's problematic. And you know what? 50 years ago, if I was doing this podcast, I could be real judgmental about how could the Corinthian church behave. Like, but now it's 2023, and I'm like, yep, yeah, yeah. sounds pretty familiar. Sounds a lot like what we, the world we're dealing with today, even in the church. There's nothing new under the sun, my friends. You think you're seeing it. You think you're seeing this stuff, and it's the first time it's ever happened. If only that were true. We don't learn from history, we just repeat it. Many of the issues that you're seeing today, many of them, believe me when I say they existed in the Roman Empire. Maybe, maybe they're packaged a little differently today because we have technology um, and some other things that are a little different than what the Roman Empire had. But socially, and even when you're looking at government um, and morality and uh, all these issues, they existed in one form or another at that time. 
And that would have been the time that Paul's planting churches. And so he was dealing with the same nonsense. And you see his frustration come out in his words because he loved the Corinthian church and he loved the Corinthian people so much. And yet they just really struggled to, to pull it together. But I think that they were, they had more excuse than us. The reason I don't let us off the hook or let our culture off the hook or show much grace to our, to the modern church is because we have access to things that no other generation in the history of the world has had access to. We have God's word at our fingertips at any moment. There is never an excuse not to know what God has said. We have the words of the great reformers and preachers and teachers of the past and commentaries and things like what Matthew Henry wrote. Alongside the word, we have access to the Hebrew. We have word, we have Browns and Strong's concordances. There's podcasts like this. There's, there's just an endless source of information to help you walk according to God's word and yet we behave as like we were like the Corinthians who simply had a couple of letters written in their language written to them from Paul and frankly in, in many ways we are much worse many church Obviously, I'm generalizing. There's obviously lots of good Christians and good Christian women and good Christian men and good Christian churches that exist. We're talking about the general generality here. And that's why I say if, you know, just send Paul to one city, one just one middle-sized city in the United States and have him go to the 15 or 20 churches that exist there and say, try to try to get this stuff under control <laughs> okay is it, I'll just be honest as I close uh, this is not a podcast that I'm pleased with I'm not pleased with um, uh, how well I did at interpreting the scriptures and talking about these things uh, I'm definitely frustrated this morning but my prayer is that the word of God has gone forth that hearts have been pierced and that something has resonated with all of you this morning. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for supporting this work and providing me the opportunity to even do this. I'm, I'm just so grateful about that. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless. <laughs>